We've all done it. We've all blown it at one time or another. Making big mistakes is a part of being human. What do we do when we log an epic fail? That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thanks so much for tuning in to our Tower Hill podcast, where we hope listening in helps you continue on your faith journey. We have all made mistakes in little ways, big ways, and everything in between. And man, our faith muscle takes a hit when we mess up. We feel punished, disqualified, or even down for the count. But our God is the God of infinity second chances. So you may be down, but you are not out. What do we do when we make a big mistake? Today, Pastor Jason talks to us about steps you can take when you've messed up. So let's check it out right now. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship this morning. I'm so glad you could join us for our online service. And I pray that as we go and you get into the service, that you will engage, that you'll comment, you'll share, you'll pray, that you'll be involved. So it's not maybe just something that you're watching, but it's something that you feel like is a part of of your Sunday morning, something that you're doing to worship God as we worship him together. If this is your first time logging on with us, welcome. I pray that you feel as welcome as you are. I'm Pastor Jason. This is Tower Hill Church. You are in the right place, and we're so excited to get started. Well, as we just finished a sermon series, and we have another one coming next week, so we're in between. And I thought this is a great opportunity to talk about something that I hear all the time, And that, in fact, I heard several times this week, is what happens when you blow it? What happens when you blow it, and how do you move forward from that? Because so many people get stuck, and you might be feeling like this morning, you're stuck right there. You made a mistake, something didn't go the way that it should have, it's on you, and you messed up. So today's message is called, so you messed up. Now what? What are you going to do about it? And say, we are prone to some epic fails, aren't we? (laughs) I love this. The tattoo fails are some of my favorite. No regerts. Yeah, I don't know what regert is, but I won't have any of it. The thing is, we, we fail epically. And I don't know if it's good to admit to you as your pastor that sometimes I enjoy watching epic fails on YouTube, you know, like people trying to skateboard down the side of a house and it doesn't go well. I don't know. There's just something really entertaining about it. Of course, they're all fine. They're all not injured, I'm sure. But the thing is, we are prone to all sorts of mistakes and some worse than others. Some of them are silly and we can kind of laugh at them and others are maybe not quite so laughable. Sin has its way of breaking us and breaking things around us. And even just during this pandemic, I feel like there have been plenty of times where I have just really epically failed. I made the wrong choice. I treated somebody the wrong way. I didn't do that thing that I felt like God would want me to do. So what do you do with that? What do we do with that? If we are all so prone, I mean, listen, you're in good company if you've ever failed epically, because we all have. But still, there's that part of us that I think feels like, okay, well, maybe, what does this mean for me and my relationship with God? Because it's one thing to ask the question, what do you do when you've completely blown it? But I think it's also another question to ask, what do you do when you've completely blown it with God? 
I've met a lot of people who feel like, you know what, pastor, I believe in God's grace, I believe in God's forgiveness, and all of that, but I don't think I'm quite right. I think I'm probably being punished for my previous behavior. I don't think I'm good enough to be the kind of Christian I think God wants me to be or the way I see others being. I just don't have that in me because I'm too broken. I've made too many mistakes. I've blown it too badly. And the really sad, I mean, not sad, tragic thing about that is that it's a lie. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. I feel like our relationship with God and when we mess up and we blow it and we don't know what to do, is sort of like that game that gave me so much anxiety as a child, Simon. You remember this game? I don't think there's any, maybe, maybe a close second would be Operation, the games that give you so much anxiety you just want to pass out. This game did it for me. And if you remember this game, and there are versions of it now, that, so you may have seen it, but it would, it would play a sound in a different colored button, and you would have to mimic the machine. So, and it would get increasingly complex. So it would start with like one beep green and one red, and then you get that right. Okay, great. Then one, you know, one beep green, one red, then three blue. And it would keep going, get more and more complex until you just completely couldn't remember it. And then it would do this thing. It would give you this buzzer that was like, you know, I mean, just it's this horrible, horrible sound. Worse than any alarm clock uh, that you've had. But it gives you so much anxiety. And I feel like for so many of us, when we mess up or we feel like we fail in the eyes of the Lord, not to mention the eyes of the people around us, but in the eyes of the Lord, that he's giving us this like cosmic buzzer. And you are out. You are out of play. You have failed this round, game over. Even though I think intellectually we know that that's not true because of God's forgiveness, it doesn't stop us from feeling that way. And we start feeling all sorts of things, all sorts of things that aren't true. We start feeling, well, I'm just in the penalty box now. You know that phrase from hockey, right? That you get the penalty and then you have to sit out for a while until your time's up. Then you can come back and rejoin the game. A lot of people feel like, no, I'm in the penalty box because of my behavior. I did something. I blew it. I failed epically. I've got some regrets <laughs> or regrets, right? And, but I feel like God can't use me because I, I'm not usable right now. Or I'm somehow disqualified. Again, buzzer. God's disqualified me from doing his work because I can't seem to stop blowing it. Or I'm just flat out not good enough for this. I can't be a disciple of Jesus. I can't really follow because I don't have it in me to do it. I know that all of you have felt one of these things at some point or another. You may be feeling that right now. There is some good news coming. But I don't want to invalidate the fact that you might be feeling it because I think it's real. But you don't have to feel that way. And I don't believe God wants that for you. I think God wants something so much more. Scripture is filled with people who blew it, probably worse than you ever will. I think that should be an encouragement, right? I mean, think about it. Even the great heroes of the faith probably blew it worse than you. I was thinking about Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, there's like this litany of heroes of the faith and all the wonderful ways that they were monuments of faith. But each and every one of them, Abraham, Moses, David, Rahab, 
Morons. No, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, heroes of the faith, but they all did something moronic. They all epically failed at one point or another, some worse than others. Think about Abraham. Abraham couldn't wait for the promise of God that he was going to have children, so he had a child with his servant. Epic fail. Couldn't trust in the promises of God. What about Moses? Moses killed a guy. And then later on, he doesn't show faithfulness enough in God to be able to enter the promised land. And yet this is Moses we're talking about, this incredible, faithful man of God who, you know, parts the Red Sea with the staff, you know, just like all this amazing things. And yet Moses failed epically. Or think about David. David committed adultery and then had the husband of the woman killed. Epic fail. I mean, that's like, that's on another level. Or Rahab, who was a prostitute who sold her created promises of God, exchanged them for an exchange of money. All epically failed. And yet, they're the pillars. They're the heroes of the faith. Why? Because they didn't stay as failures. They didn't see, well, I'm disqualified. I can't do anything for God now. But God would bring them through a process of restoration. And they were continuing their journey with God. Their journey continued. It didn't end with their mistakes. Now, some of those moments were were really tough. And it took a while to get out of them. But in the end, they ended up in a place that was reconciled to God. And they furthered God's mission and still considered to be heroes of the faith. But think about Peter, right? Peter swears to Jesus' face that he won't deny, only to deny him behind his back three times you're probably not going to do something like that. I mean, that's tough, right? To Jesus' face, I swear I won't. And he does. And yet Peter becomes the rock upon which the church is built. So what does this mean for us? I think it means a few things. But first, I'll say this. God seems to delight in second chances. When you read Scripture and you read the story of all the human beings interacting with God, you see chance after chance after chance. You see God's mercy and faithfulness. You get the sense that God is delighting when somebody blows it, but then they get back up again and they try again. People who mess up so epically, (laughs) but they resolve to do better. God seems to delight in that. I can't tell you how many chances I've had in my life. God gives infinity chances. God's not just the God of second chances. He's God of infinity chances. Because he cares more about what he's pulling you toward. Right? He cares more about that than the fact that you sin. The fact that you sin does not surprise him. It's not that it's not serious. It's incredibly serious. It's gravely serious. So serious he had to come down and remedy the problem himself. But sin doesn't have the final word. Forgiveness does. So a couple of things as we go about this. So when you fail, not if, when you epically fail, just remember, consequences are real. Consequences are real. Like God will forgive you, but there may be consequences to your actions. They're going to have to be faced. Consequences are real. But it's not a life sentence. Just start with repentance. See what I did there? A little rhymey time, right? Not a life sentence. 
but it starts with repentance. What does repentance mean? Repentance means to ask for forgiveness and to turn away from that behavior. The word repent literally means to turn away from. So say, okay, acknowledge God. This is what I did. I'm confessing to you. This is what I did. You know what I did, Lord. You know that I epically failed, but I ask your forgiveness. And more than that, I want to learn from this. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to be the kind of person that does this. I don't want to sin against you that way. I don't want to sin against me and others. I want something more. I want to turn from this and move forward. It starts with repentance. It is what it is, as they say. You make a mistake and there are consequences. But again, it doesn't mean you're out of the game for the rest of your life or even for very long. It just means you got to pay the price of sinful behavior. There are all sorts of promises that God talks about when it comes to repentance. He says in the book of Joel, he says this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. God delights in second chances, but he asks you to rend your heart, repent, ask forgiveness, and turn away from that behavior. We, we hear the promise of what, what Jesus did on the cross, right? Talk about second chances. That's the whole point of what Jesus did for us. First Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So listen, not only are there consequences, but you can move forward with repentance. But more than that, God's heart is to restore you. You're not disqualified. This is why he went to the cross. This is literally the whole reason Jesus did what he did was to restore you, to give you another chance, to make you whole again after you've been broken. Even Jesus, as he was being crucified, says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing. Forgive them. Forgive these people who are mocking me and who literally are hanging me to the cross. Forgive them. They don't realize what's going on. He's whispering forgiveness as the very people he came to save are hanging him on the cross. This is God's heart to forgive, to make right, to pay the price. By his wounds, we are healed because he allowed himself to be wounded for us. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you, are, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Yes, even a criminal being executed on the side of Jesus up until right before his death asked to be in, included in Jesus' kingdom, and he says, you will. Why? Because that's his heart. Whatever you believe about yourself or your situation, believe this, Jesus wants to give you restoration. He wants to make things right. He wants you to grow and to learn and be more whole after the sin than you were before. The penalty has been paid, so get back in the game. You know, what happens is, is we put ourselves in the penalty box, if we're being honest. We disqualify ourselves. God doesn't do that. We do it to ourselves. And I have to say this too. If I'm being brutally honest with myself, there are times when I know full well what I'm doing when I pull myself out of the game and I use it as an excuse to not get in the game. Well, God can't use me. And there's this part of me that says, no, yeah, he can. You're just saying that because you don't want to. You don't feel like you have enough energy or whatever. God wants to restore you more than anything, but he wants you in the game. I once heard it said that in God's army, only wounded soldiers are allowed to serve. We've all been wounded by our sinfulness. But it's that very woundedness that gives us empathy and humility and the desire to trust in God more than we trust ourselves. It's funny how that works. Ephesians says it this way about getting back in the game. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now that you're getting back in the game and now that you've received this mercy from God, go share that mercy with everybody else that you meet. The Christian life is a new kind of ethic that Jesus calls us to. Since you are living under mercy and grace, let the rest of your life show mercy and grace to the world. That's how they're going to know who I am and what I care about. I care about restoration and forgiveness. And so you, my children, my body in the world, you must live lives of restoration and forgiveness. Peter once asked Jesus about forgiveness. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Ooh, that's a lot. That's a lot. Think about it. Somebody wronged you in a bad way seven times? That's kind of a lot. Jesus answered, I tell you, not 70 times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And I'm sure the disciples were thinking, whoa, that's about 10,000 bags of gold, all right? Like, that's a lot. That's a lot. 
It's just you're just gonna cancel the debt. That's merciful. That's what mercy looks like. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. Talk about a tough parable. But we get the point, right? How can we, how dare we, who live under this incredible mercy and forgiveness of God, not show mercy and forgiveness to the people in our lives? This story was meant to be a gross example so that you're literally just shouting, how could you? And Jesus saying, now you know how I feel. Now you know how the Father feels. How could you? How dare you not show forgiveness? Seven times? No, 77 times, right? And, and that was not literal. It was just meant to be like, there's a huge multiplier on seven. The next thing, a restored life is one that pays forgiveness forward radically. What happens when you mess up? You repent, you ask forgiveness, you get back in the game and you live your life in a way that shows radical forgiveness, radical love, the same kind of forgiveness that Jesus showed us. Again, just as we've been forgiven in Christ, we show other people. And that's easier said than done. Because I love forgiving people that I love. <laughs> I love forgiving people that I want to forgive. But not so much when I don't. I once heard it said, forgiveness is a beautiful idea until you try to do it. I had an experience that some of you have heard this before. I, uh, my father, my stepfather was in prison. Uh, he had really wreaked havoc on our family and our lives as a family with some real lasting, I mean, geez, lasting damage for all of us. It was a very difficult uh, season of me and my brother and sister and my mother working through the way that our whole family was rattled. So he was in prison and years had gone by. I had just gotten married and I remember thinking to myself, I need to forgive him. And I knew this was a God impulse because I didn't want to. That's usually how I can tell if it's God. It's something I don't want to do. And it trends in the direction of forgiveness and love and grace. So, so I, I remember feeling this and I called my sister up, my younger sister, and I said, I'm feeling like I need to go to the prison and forgive him, forgive dad. And she said, I'll go with you. So, I mean, it was just like a scene from a movie. We go into the prison and we're using the phone and talking through the glass. It was the first time I'd seen, seen him in about four years. 
And I go into my spiel. I had rehearsed what I wanted to say and said, you know, I just, I forgive you. I, I won't be able to forget, but I need to let go of this anger and this hurt. I need to forgive you because I believe Jesus wants me to. And I wish I could say he took that really well and had this wonderful conversion moment. He didn't. He kind of gave me a bunch of excuses as to why things were that most of that not being his fault. He apologized for some things to me. He said, I'm sorry I was so hard on you. I'm sorry that I treated you that way. And then my sister went in to talk with him. And he proceeded to blame everybody else and her for the situation that he was in. We left that day completely unsatisfied. And yet, here's the thing I want you to hear. And yet, something happened in me when I said, I forgive you. It was like the Holy Spirit's peace and love awakened toward my stepfather. And then now when I think about him, even though sometimes it hurts, I don't have the same kind of anger. I don't have the same kind of barrier that used to be there. Jesus did something with that as I said those words of forgiveness. And that's an extreme example, but I think this happens all the time, right? We, we have things in our lives, we have situations, we have relationships, we have things where we need to speak those words of forgiveness. Even if it's hard and even if it's sometimes half-hearted, we need to try. Because that's what forgiven people do. We speak forgiveness to others, especially those who don't deserve it. Because after all, we didn't either. What do you do when you mess up? You resolve to live in the way of Jesus, to live in the way of grace and forgiveness. And the truth is what? The truth is, no, no, no. It's not that I'm in the penalty box or disqualified or not good enough. I'm forgiven. I'm restored. I'm worth dying for. I'm mean, going to slap in the face to tell Jesus you weren't worth dying for. Of course you were. He wouldn't have done it. You're forgiven. You're free. And you're not giving up. So what do you do? You messed up. Now what do you do? You get up. You don't give up. You take God up on his offer of forgiveness and you live that forgiveness forward. Amen. Amen. 